We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Spending time with Jade in conversation provided me with an opportunity to hear how wonderful their community was and how family and friends jumped in to serve her and her family while Hattie was fighting cancer and receiving treatment. I know hearing some of the special ways others loved them will leave your heart touched and inspired with ideas on how we can make a big difference in someone else's life. Thank you for joining us today for episode two of our three-part conversation. She was diagnosed, you know, towards the end of that school year. And then Hattie's birthday is actually May 3rd. So she was diagnosed just two and a half, three weeks before her 11th birthday. But one of the sweetest gifts that we were, so we were home a week. And then whenever we went back in, Hattie had lost more weight. And we found out from the steroids um, that she actually had steroid induced diabetes. And so we had to, (laughs) we had to learn how to give shots on top of the, you know, on top of chemo and everything else, we had to learn how to treat Hattie's diabetes. But one of the sweetest um, gifts that we received um, was just the support from our small town. And so Hattie was able to be home for her birthday. And on her birthday, it was a field trip day. And one of her friend's parents and then the teachers kind of collectively rallied some of our local like fire fire department, our EMTs, and all of her grade. Before they went on their field trip, they had us bring Hattie outside of our house on our little driveway and like the fire fire trucks going by and ambulances and then our two school buses full of kids that came by and they got out and sang her happy birthday and that was that was the out of all of this like that stands out to me as just being the the best gift that we that we received um, is just that support and something that is so hard that hits a family so hard and you're just stuck in it. Our our small town rallying around us and wanting us to know that because you want everyone to value your kid and to know that they are missed and loved and all of those things. And so that they collectively did that and made her feel so much love um, from the very beginning was, was awesome, was really, really awesome. And it was a good thing that we had that, um, because it would be two days later, it was May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, that we went for a follow-up appointment. And we noticed that where Hattie's port was placed, that, that artery, that vein 
was protruding and it was red. And so we had gone down the night before to stay at the kids' corral. And I had noticed it. It was kind of pink. But she, at this time, Hattie was always cold and was wearing like a favorite hoodie that kind of zipped up. And I just thought, well, like, is it rubbing? Like, where where your hoodie is, is it rubbing? And so I was like, well, don't don't wear it. <laughs> you know, what, maybe, maybe it's rubbing, you know, we don't want that. Well, so we go in for her treatment and exam on May 5th. And like, as they're getting ready to access her port, I mean, it's just, it's bright red, bright red. So it had gone from pink to being bright red, this vein or artery, whatever, going from her neck to where her port was placed. And the nurses are just like, I don't think we can access you. And so they brought in the, uh, one of the doctors and as they were examining her they were like we we think we need to do some x-rays we need to see what's going on and so they did they did these x-rays and um nothing showed up on the x-rays but Hattie's I think Hattie's blood counts were wonky and so they were like we're just going to keep you so we were admitted And for those three weeks, there was like three weeks there that Hattie would intermittently run like a low grade temperature. Her counts were plummeting, but she, you know, was also having treatment. But I kid you not, I think it was like May, I don't know, May 21st or something. So we had been there almost three weeks at this point. Hattie had gone a couple of days without fever and maybe her counts were finally recovering. And so they felt comfortable for us to go home. Like, even though like that area was still pink, I think they had also just started um, giving her some antibiotics kind of just in case. Well, the nurse D went to D access Hattie and all of this pus that had been hiding behind this bandage just started oozing out of my daughter (laughs) just started oozing out and so I can still remember the look on our nurse's face of just like this isn't good (laughs) so this so this is what has been going on so they like to joke about that it was like the quickest, you know, discharge readmission that they've ever done because it was like, here we were set to go home, we're being deaccessed, and then all of this infection starts coming out. So yes, Hattie's port got infected. So we were readmitted. The infection was so bad that Um, really you could almost, and I'm so sorry for any, you know, if this is too graphic or anything like that, but it was, it was so bad that you, you could almost see her port of just how the infection, um, had just, yeah, had eaten away. So (laughs) I think it was the pretty, I don't know if it was the next day, it was a pretty quick turnaround of the infection was found, a surgery 
to have that port removed and then Hattie's first pick line was placed. Um, and then it would be from there that infectious disease was called in and we were having to treat with two different antibiotics um, because Hattie's infection that she had, it was slow growing. And so we had to be inpatient the whole time that we were waiting to see, you know, what was the bacteria going to grow felt like forever, but it, it finally, it took weeks. It took weeks for something to finally grow to where they knew the right antibiotic, how to treat it best. Um, so we were finally able to go home, but we couldn't go home until both Britt and I learned how to do wound care, which, because um, she had this massive hole in her chest that was having to be cleaned. All of that infection was having to be making sure that it was being removed and we were having to pack. We were having to pack that wound. Um, I say we, Brent took on wound care. I was like, I'm doing diabetes. I cannot do. I'm doing diabetes and chemo and antibiotics now. So you, you do the, you do the wound care. So Brent, thankfully with his farming background and doing that kind of stuff, it didn't bother him. Well, I say it didn't bother him. This was his daughter. So obviously that was more difficult, but um, he was able to stomach it a lot better than I could. But Hattie, during this time, her spirit, um, her gentleness, her sweetness, we we joke about like who who after getting shots or who after, you know, having her wound packed, like turns and looks at the person and says, thank you. But that's who she is. <laughs> and that's and that's how how she really has responded during this whole, this whole time of treatment is just with, a, I would say, a graciousness that doesn't make any sense to any of us looking to her, her little cancer journey that's way beyond her years. It doesn't make sense to any of us. And so we, we are, we are, we are thankful. We are thankful for that, that she, that she has been able to handle it so well. We've, We've also worried about how much she holds in to protect other people because that's her type of personality as well as I can see that this hurts you or I don't want to offend you. Um, and so we've also had to be very careful about really trying to make sure that she's not hiding things from us just because she doesn't want to, to hurt, to hurt us or to bring any more pain. So so, I mean, even a pick line though has a risk of infection. So right. how did y'all kind of keep that in check, I guess? Um, well, and I'm, I'm glad that you said that because we were, we spent, I think, 40 some days of Hattie's first 60 days inpatient. And also, so I talked about May 5th as being a big day. That was Hattie's um, next bone marrow day to see if she was in remission. And we learned that she was not in remission after that first intensive month of treatment. 
And so, so that, that was hard to hear of that, you know, she was still, still had disease, still had cancer. And so we really like, she, yeah, was on that, that put her on this harder, more intensive path of treatment. Um, so the pick line, <laughs> we made it, I think, you know, was that placed at, um, the end of May, first part of June. Um, and you know, and we're talking like we're, we're missing all of the things, right? So we're missing the end of school. Um, Mother's Day was spent in the hospital. Um, we're missing friends' graduations and family graduations. And Hattie's uh, pick line, um, as well as her antibiotic. So her antibiotic that we were doing at home, it had to be IV. And so I had to learn how to, you know, do the syringes and do the little, I don't know, it was in a ball. I was like, I was fascinated by <laughs> all the science behind it. Um, but we, you know, Hattie couldn't take showers without, you know, putting a Ziploc bag and basically taping up all of, all of her arm. It was almost, you know, I'm sure like 90% of her arm is covered with something because it can't get wet for risk of infection but then we were also having to do that with her wound with her where her port had been also had to be covered and so it really was for Hattie and it's summer like so all this swimming a billion degrees and this poor kiddo that was diagnosed, like everything is having to be taped up if she's going to get in the water. So we had a, a home health was brought in that they were weekly coming in and, and uh, cleaning, cleaning the pick line. Also just, you know, double checking the antibiotics and that uh, the wound care, they were also supervising some of the, uh, the changes, making sure that Brent was getting all of it um, really, really good. So, but unfortunately for Hattie, she made it June and July with her first pick line. And then she started, I don't know if the chemo is what caused the skin sensitivity, or maybe it was something that she had all along, but from all of the bandaging, she started having a terrible reaction where with all the, the pick line bandaging. So I can remember we found out in August that she was finally in remission. But again, it's something that is super um, fast paced. Like they just keep moving you along <laughs> in, the, in the treatment process. And so it was like, yay, you're in remission. But also we're jumping right into this next phase of um, treatment called interim maintenance. And so we were going to have to be admitted for that. Well, when we were admitted for that, just like how a nurse was getting ready to access Hattie um, with her port and all of this infection, um, they went to hook Hattie up with her pick line. And they're like, well, that, that doesn't look good. Like it's like oozy at this point, like they, they were like looking under the bandage and it's like oozy and just look like raw skin, awful. And they were like, 
okay, well, this doesn't look good either. So we made it, I think we made it through that treatment and our doctor was pretty adamant on she needs a port. Like we need, we need to get this child a port, um, especially if she's having all of this skin sensitivity and issues. But unfortunately, Hattie's port wound, her old site had not completely healed up. So instead of getting, um, I can remember, you know, everything was set up, scheduled, cleared by our doctor. And then we went in um, to get her new port placed. And the surgeon was just like, I, I can't do it. Like I, I don't feel comfortable doing it. Just the fear of the infection spreading to the new port. And so just the disappointment I can remember of that day of you go in thinking getting a port to hopefully make life a little bit easier of not having to um, keep something bandaged up and clean all the time. And then leaving there with another pick line on the other arm. So we had, Hattie had to have another pick line. So, so now we've gone through a port, (laughs) one pick line, and we do this other pick line. And thankfully that pick line made it just long enough. Maybe, I don't know if it made it a month, just how her skin um, had a horrible response, even when we tried to protect it. I mean, that helped, but her, I don't know what the sensitivity to the latex, whatever it was, she just couldn't, we just couldn't do it. And she, you know, we were doing so much still, like we were doing all of these um, antibiotics. It was being used a lot. So finally in September, is when she got her new port and that's been the keeper so far. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's been the one, it's been the one that's, um, that's, that's lasted and we are, we are super thankful. Yeah. That's quite the ride with the port and then the pick line and then having to go. I mean, I, I can just imagine your, the whole disappointment in thinking, okay, well, this is the routine. This is what they do. This is how we do it. This is how we get it all. And then it's like, oh, that nicks that plan B, plan C, plan D now. Right. Just kidding. And I think we tried to, we tried to prepare ourselves for like, we, at that point, like we were kind of learning as well as our care team that Hattie just so happened to be one of those that if they said this was a minimal chance of this happening, bless poor Hattie's heart for whatever reason it would happen. And so now, <laughs> now we kind of are prepared for that. And I think for the most part, our, our care team has been wonderful too. And that they've picked up on, you know, what is the weirdest, you know, slimmest chance of something happening here and we need to this is what you need to look for because it could potentially happen to Hattie so when it's part of your life it's it's your life it's not a statistic anymore (laughs) um so talk to me a little bit about the the drugs and things like that I know that 
a lot of people think when they think of childhood cancer, they think of children losing their hair, you know, and some of those things. What were some of those, maybe the side effects that you guys experienced? Goodness. Hattie's worst side side effect was um, the nausea and vomiting. Um, And so she actually had to have to be put, we were very close to having to get an NG tube, um, a feeding tube because of not really being able to get, get it under control. Um, and then, so, whereas in the beginning, maybe some families are having to go in quite a bit because of fevers, Hattie, we were going in because of vomiting, not being under control and being dehydrated. And so, that's, you know, almost a two hour drive for us, but we were like, okay, she's dehydrated and we can't do any, like she's not keeping anything down. So we would have to go in. Um, so the nausea and vomiting were pretty big for Hattie. Um, the steroids causing just swollen, swollen skin, swollen features. So sweet Hattie, who is um, was always uh, very petite and delicate features. Like her face um, was very swollen. I think she made it through that first month. She made it through the first month without really losing any hair. But like I said, without her being in remission and starting that next intensive route is when the hair loss started. And I can remember you know, we would have these pill cups um, and when we were inpatient, we'd have the little pill cups and just every day, Hattie would just add a little bit more of her hair and she called it, it like off of like the atoms, like she was making like her own little, like she was just collecting, collecting her hair. So hair loss, the the swollen features. We were having to do insulin to help stay on top of um, her blood sugars because of the the steroids causing that. She went through, I guess, some hangry because of the steroid. Like the the nurses joke about like Hattie having the best like taste in food. So once we finally, and I think that's what I was going to say, we had to have a medicine prescribed that kind of, um, help her appetite. It, it, yeah. And for us, it worked. So it helped with the nausea, but it also increased her appetite. And then that's when all of the door dash started to happen. And our nurses were constantly coming in. Well, what are you ordering today, Hattie? And so like for Hattie, it was great because she had lost all of this weight and that she definitely needed to put back on. But I'm there eating with her and not as great. They were going to have to roll me out of there. But she was happy. We were happy. She was eating. And um, so many friends and family were wonderful um, keeping us afloat with DoorDash. So bandages, the cleaning. Um, but then with her pick line, I was also administering that medicine that you know, it had to be at this time of day and it couldn't be so close to this time of of day of the evening. Like it had to be so many hours apart and flushing, flushing her pick line and, um, the, her antibiotics. And she was on two different ones. Patty, you know, I said that her walking, her ability to walk. So we started to have to do physical therapy, um, just her stamina and, 
endurance. Um, I can remember, you know, so many hospital stays there at the beginning, but we were able to be home for the 4th of July. And I can remember she was just so excited about that to be out of the hospital and to, um, to be with, um, cousins over the 4th of July. And it was just, it was too hot. Like she couldn't be outside without feeling like she was going to pass out. And, and then just being so tired, like she basically, I think just slept all of the 4th of July. So all of those things I think are pretty, pretty typical. And just, I think, I don't know if this was something else that maybe if people have said, but just the, the isolation because of their immune systems being so fragile and compromised. And so Hattie being a PK, a preacher's kid, and um, having to stay home because of that, or, you know, this age range that she is in of her peer group and friends starting to do more and more together. You know, the travel ball um, is really big, travel softball, basketball, those things. And, um, and she was obviously not up to that and just home. And so I think I know, I know that that was one of the the harder things um, for her and has been for her is just the, the isolation. Yeah. The isolation does get talked a lot about just because, I mean, you don't do a lot of things, you know, you don't get to get together with even family sometimes, you know, you're just because of the exposure that's possible. I wrote a, a few things down, um, but I'm wondering can you talk about maybe some of the things that people did for you guys? You guys, as you've mentioned, you're, you are in the ministry, so you have served others very, very well. And so when you have done that for so long, I know people love you and they love you well. And, um, but maybe just share a little bit about some of those meaningful things that if maybe someone listening, hears of another family member going through it, that was really helpful for you guys. The, the one that, um, that stood out to me the most was just the very beginning of how our school um, and our community, a smaller community just kind of rallied around us to let us know that, that they were there, you know, that, that they, that they see Hattie and yeah, that they, that they were there. Um, I, I think um, not very, I think it was in May. So Hattie, you know, had been diagnosed when we were in May, but <clears throat> just immediately people started to step in of like an auction and like items being donated to, to raise money for our, our travel costs or anything, any hospital costs, if insurance wouldn't cover any of those things. But so auctions started happening there at the beginning, blood drives started happening we did have a lot of um, financial support. I have um, a dear family friend that runs Wyatt's Wings, a a nonprofit um, that is um, trying to raise funds to go towards families that are going through through hard times like this. And so they they stepped in and held a fun fundraiser. I think it was just via Facebook. I think that was actually the the biggest fundraiser that was done for us was the one and he just he just threw it up on Facebook, you know. 
And that was probably the biggest one for us. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so you, you had some fundraisers um, provided by friends that helped provide support for travel to and from, because I mean, like you said, it was a two hour trip. And then, yeah. you know, I'm also thinking of, of care for your other kids. I mean, yeah. so <laughs> I would love for you to kind of, I mean, families, when we talk about care for our, our children that are here in the hospital, we still have life and families and children at home. Um, yes. So we are, we are very blessed in that we live like just a mile down the road from Brent's parents, from my in-laws. And um, so how during all of these long hospital stays is I was usually the one that stayed in the hospital with Hattie. And Brent is who managed um, the for the home front with with help with his parents of getting kiddos. So, uh, yeah, missing the end of school year, all of those activities, events, and um, it was either Brent going solo or like his parents, my parents, everyone else trying to show up there <laughs> to show support. I would say, as far as like practical. Because yes, the obviously the financial is a is a big burden um, that hits families in in various ways of um, the the medical, the hospital bills. But yes, for us, it was the travel, and so we had the the meal trains that were set up for us. People that were bringing meals over. We had several that just, you know, made frozen dinners so that we could store those for whenever we needed them. We also had, you know, the gas cards we had whenever, um, because for me, you know, we live, we live on a farm. We have all of these animals. We had family friends that just stepped in and like deep cleaned everything, making sure every surface was cleaned. Um, and then my parents paid for, um, I can't remember if it was every other week, but where we were having pretty, pretty good cleaning because that's the last thing that is on, I think the caregiver's mind is, you know, you're trying to, your, your mind is full of this person's needs of all of the medicines, are they eating and drinking enough so that they can take this medicine? Oh, they don't feel well. I need to give them this medicine, but I have to write that down before I can, you know, give them this for later. And so to not have to worry about meals, to not have to worry about those day-to-day things of, you know, the house being disgusting for this person whose immune system is so fragile was absolutely amazing. Um, And then we also had I think another thoughtful gift that I'm just like, that was wonderful. It was on a pretty consistent delivery of like paper plates, paper bowls, trash bags, like those things that, again, whenever your mind is full of other things and you're not wanting to have to do dishes or any of those things. And and this person was super wonderful of, you know, texting and asking, do you still have enough of this? Do I need to order more? Just making sure that we had whatever to make our lives easier and more manageable was, was amazing. 
Thank you for joining Oklahoma Family Network on this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Please join me one more time for the third and final piece of my conversation with Jade Campbell, which will be released as our next episode. Jade will highlight the resources she tapped into, give us an update on Hattie and her progress, as well as discuss how important it is to remember the siblings are part of the oncology family journey as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.